When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Sid Rosenberg is off this week. I'm Frank Morano holding down the fort. Uh, before we talk with Murray Sabrin, two quick things on uh, items we mentioned. One, uh, while I did allude to the missing posters that a nonprofit group, New York Communities for Change, uh, had been putting up around New York since he missed the storm briefing with uh, Governor Hochul and he was reported as being in Jamaica at the height of the storm. He did appear at midnight mass on Christmas Eve at St. Patrick's. So evidently the mayor is back in the five boroughs of New York City. I don't have an issue with the mayor leaving for a couple of days. I The thing that I think I scratched my head about, and we'll get into this with Curtis Lee in 20 minutes, is why the level of secrecy. Why not just tell people I'm taking a couple of days off, uh, work real hard, and I'm going away for a couple of days? No, I, don't, I don't see that, but we'll get into it with Curtis. The other thing, I want to thank some listener who texted me, and you could text me as well, 816-8-Morano. I was talking about the struggles that people like my wife have in feeding um, outdoor cats and outdoor dogs. Apparently, there are these outdoor heated pet bowls for food and water, and I'm going to get one of these for my wife, one of these heated pet bowls. You can get them online. I'm sure you can get them at a lot of pet stores as well. This is great, and uh, it makes sense that there is something like this, but I wouldn't have thought to look it up had someone not messaged me about it, so thank you for that. All right. Uh, A lot of people wondering what the story is at the border. Who better to ask than a genuine American success story, the definition of the American dream. I'm very, very pleased to welcome Dr. Murray Sabrin, economist, retired professor of finance at Ramapo College, and the author of the new book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story. Murray, I hope you had a great holiday. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Well, thanks, Frank. It's always great to be with you. And, uh, Uh, Merry Christmas, belatedly, to you and your uh, listening audience. Thank you very much. Murray, uh, there's a lot being made over the expiration of Title 42. There's a lot of fears that this could lead to even more stadiumfuls of people coming into the country at a time when the United States may not have the infrastructure to deal with this influx of uh, of immigrants. As somebody that uh, was not born here but was a, a citizen but first an immigrant, give me your view on how we're dealing with this whole situation. What do you think the country should do going forward? Well, uh, given my family's uh, story coming to America in August 1949, my father was vetted in West Germany where uh, they settled after World War II from their native Poland. He was thoroughly vetted because he was a partisan commander uh, for a year from uh, July of uh, 1943 to July of 1944 when he was liberated by the Russian army. And so uh, since he had uh, he was a very integral part of uh, defending Poland from the uh, German advance. Uh, the Americans wanted to know who is Abraham Sabrin. At that time, it was Shabrinsky. That was his last name. And so uh, he was vetted. Uh, he, I guess there was a health check also. I don't remember. I was two and a half years old. 
but uh, he got papers from his uh, great aunt and first cousin who arrived in America before uh, we did. And so that's the American way. That's the re- that's the right way of coming to America is, is applying for, for entry, getting vetted, making sure your health is in good shape, and coming to America just like countless tens of millions did before and after uh, 1949. And if we had that system in place, we wouldn't have the disaster that we're seeing right uh, before our eyes. And it just demonstrates, Frank, the callousness of the Biden administration, why are they allowing people to come into America who may not be healthy, who may have no opportunity for work, and we don't know what their uh, criminal background is. So we have a disaster that's made right here in the White House, and I think uh, the American people, I I think, are fed up with what's going on at the border because of uh, the Biden administration's non-immigration policy. Murray, um, we're talking with Murray Sabrin. You could check out his uh, book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual and American Story. I've uh, I've gotten it. I'm reading it now. It's uh, it's terrific. It's available on Amazon. Um, I, I would certainly agree with you in the problems with how the Biden administration has handled border security. That being said, when we see these um, underdressed immigrants dropped off in front of Kamala Harris's house in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve, isn't that just a little more than a political stunt? Well, it's, it's worse than that. It's a humanitarian disaster. I mean, you have to treat people humanely. And unfortunately, uh, no one is treating people humanely here because they should not be transported in a way that puts them in jeopardy health-wise. They should be uh, vetted properly. Uh, they should be staying in Mexico, which is title, what Title 42 is all about, and being properly vetted there or in their own home, home country where you, have, you can go to the American consulate, American embassy, and have a proper means of uh, coming into the country. Uh, what we have today, Frank, is, is really just over the top. Uh, there is no reason, no ro- logical, rational reason, humanitarian reason for this to occur. And the only thing that people are coming up with is that this is a deliberate policy of Biden to try to get, quote, more voters into the country. Now, if the Republicans were smart, they would say, OK, you're having all these people come into the into the country, but they're not coming in the proper way. So therefore, they are not following the protocol that should be that should they should be following. Therefore, they can never become U.S. citizens. They can only become permanent residents. That would blow the Democrats' mind up because uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to have compromise, that would be the compromise. If you're not following the proper procedure, you cannot become a U.S. citizen. And I think that would put a lot of the edge off of the Democrats' uh, attempt to try to uh, have more Democratic voters because this, after all, is happening under a Democratic president. Murray, uh, speaking of uh, liberals, uh, conservatives, that whole thing, you spent uh, decades in the world of academia, a very well-respected professor of, uh, of finance at Ramapo. One of the things that we so often hear from uh, younger conservatives and their parents is that the the academic environment is very hostile to conservative students. I'm curious, did you find that to be the case at Ramapo? And what what were you able to do to sort of encourage conversation and respectful contrary among people who might have different political ideologies while at the same time, you know, not allowing any one view to be uh, bullying the other and that kind of a thing? Well, thanks, Frank. Uh, when I was at Rapo, uh, I founded the Sabre Center for Free Enterprise. And when we would have programs, I would always make sure that we'd have people from both sides in terms of uh, public policy, whether it's taxation, whether it's regulation, whether it's trade. Uh, you name the issues. We always had people coming together to present their views. So students, faculty, and the general public who were invited to these symposia 
got to hear people who are experts, whether it's on philanthropy, uh, we talked about the tax code, we talked about the regulation, trade policy, uh, the crash of 2008. And so uh, my job was to be a facilitator so people could hear, students could hear all sides on, on these topics because uh, I wasn't there to, to present only one point of view. I was there to bring people together to say, hey, here's the issue. What are the different perspectives that we can hash it out? And then you make your own decision as a citizen, uh, as a student, as a faculty member. Murray, tell me about a lot of this book is not only a great memoir, but sort of a chronicling of your own political maturation and education. Tell me about uh, John F. Kennedy's campaign in 1960, how you felt about it at the time and how that sort of played a role in your own political awakening. Well, uh, I grew up in a uh, blue collar household. My father was a sheet metal worker working for three dollars an hour in the Bronx. And uh, he told me he uh, he donated to Adley Stevenson's campaign in 1956 at $5. He donated $5, which was a lot of money back then. And so um, when the Kennedy uh, campaign was underway, uh, people were excited in the Bronx, which is a very blue area back then, even though it wasn't called blue. It was called a very democratic area. And so I saw JFK speak in the Bronx in, uh, right before the election in November 1960. And then when he was elected in ja- uh, January 61, I, I saw his uh, inaugural address, which uh, had some very interesting rhetoric in it. But the one rhetoric that made me very nervous is that we're going to go fight, uh, fight for freedom all around the world. So does that mean, as as a youngster, uh, as a teenager, that uh, the American military was just going to be the world's policeman? And, of course, uh, then we, a few months later, we had the Bay of Pigs disaster. Then a year and a half later, we had the uh, Bay of uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, a year later, he was assassinated, which I'm still not over with because that changed the course of not only American history, mm-hmm. but world history with the with the Vietnam War that uh, Johnson started uh, in big time in 1965. And that had a huge impact on my generation, baby boomers, because uh, the anti-war movement got going. And unfortunately, there's no there's a very small anti-war movement today, given what's going on in the Ukraine. Yeah. And so I, I've been uh, steadfastly anti-war because I heard the stories growing up about the Holocaust from my parents who survived it. And uh, there's no good reason to have war. It's, it's a total collapse of morality. It's a total collapse of civility. It's a total collapse of uh, uh, governments trying to solve problems with – there's no way to, to, to say critical this, right? Now, Murray, Murray obviously, I, I certainly agree with you. Uh, we only we have less than a minute left here, but I, I have to ask you about this. There's a lot of folks that say, look, uh, the United States didn't do the right thing in taking in Jewish refugees during the Holocaust and during World War II at a time when it should have, and it could have saved a lot of lives. And a lot of people are trying to juxtapose the same situation in Ukraine now, saying we need to stand up for the Ukrainians that are bravely fighting against Russian aggression, and that's why it's so important that we give all this American aid to Ukraine. Now, that's not necessarily my belief, but in a nutshell, Murray, tell me why you think that mentality might be flawed. Well, Russia has security needs. Putin has said this time and time again. The line in the sand for Russia was that Ukraine should not join NATO, and when there were, uh, it looked like Ukraine was going to join NATO, Putin said this could not happen on, on our border, just as the United States would not want to see um, the Chinese communists coming to Mexico or Canada or, or Cuba. And so uh, we have to get government back to its original uh, point of view, which is protect your borders, 
and make sure that these entangling alliances don't lead to uh, war. And that's what's happened throughout the 20th century and is now happening in the 21st century. Murray Sabrin, I uh, want to encourage everybody to check out the book. They can just search your last name, S-A-B-R-I-N. Best of luck with it, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Frank, and uh, stay, stay warm up there in New Jersey. Thank you. We're trying. Yes, Murray, one of the many people that has fled the Northeast for Florida. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Murray Sabrin. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Straight ahead. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 